0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think that uh, it was really good to let the guys finish plays, and and that's always really important. I thought defensively that there was a couple early drives, but uh, except for one, they didn't allow the touchdowns and made a lot of plays. And then I think as it went on, grew stronger offensively. Conversely, there were some nice... 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives that were well executed by each quarterback. Yeah, we got a long way to go. So much to coach. Um, We make our cut-ups at the end to to try to ring home all the teaching, the good, the the bad, and the ugly, basically. And uh, there was a healthy amount uh, on all those cut-ups. So we got a long way to go.
1: And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus says we finally got to see a scrimmage. Nebraska went about 70 plays this past Saturday, and this week on Saturday, they'll probably go well over 100 for their final big scrimmage before the red-white game on April 15th. And, you know, guys, there was a lot to take away from that scrimmage. Uh, I read some stuff and I, I kind of disagreed. Yeah, the defense played well, but I wouldn't just say the defense dominated that scrimmage. I mean, you heard Mike Riley, the offense put together some 9, 10, 11 play drives. Uh, they just kind of came up short in the red zone areas. But uh, I thought Tanner Lee got rid of the ball fast. He looked good. The tight ends were heavily involved. Uh, Jebia came in and, you know, for his first scrimmage ever. I mean, this is the old cliche that kid should be at the prom that Nate and I joke is used like on every early enroll guy ever, uh, but he probably had the best first scrimmage of a guy I've ever seen in Nebraska uh, with the way he operated the offense. O'Brien looked good. Concerns with the offensive line to me a little bit. That That's going to be something we'll talk about here, but um, very encouraging. But then the defense, Bob Diaco's guys were flying around, playing with effort, playing with intensity. Um, so there was a lot, Robin, to chew on after that first seventy-play scrimmage.
2: Yeah, I'll start with just the two most obvious observations, and one was this kind of our first taste of seeing um, the real Bob Diaco defense, and you know it brought everything that we had been told it was about. You know, the energy and intensity and speed in which guys were playing on every single down. Um, was really apparent. Um, You know, every good play they made, the entire defensive sideline was screaming like they'd just clinched a national championship. And um, then, I mean, that just shows kind of how Diaco's personality is feeding in uh, to this entire defense. And um, another point to that is, you know, one thing we heard about Diaco is, you know, his kind of bend but don't break philosophy. They don't give up big plays. And Um, The offense tried. They were taking shots downfield and really trying to stretch the defense, and there was nothing to be had. Uh, And so we kind of saw that. uh, And then even when the the first-team offense was able to kind of drive down the field early, uh, the defense clamped up in the red zone. And so that's, I think, kind of going to be one of the hallmarks uh, of Diaco's defense going forward is a team that just does not give up a lot of big plays and, you know, holds tough, you know, in the red zone, and one of the the best quotes um, from Diaco is, "As long as we have, um, you know, a field behind us and a place to stand, we have a chance." And so that's kind of the mentality um, that this defense has, and it was definitely apparent on Saturday. You know, one of the things that I took away
3: from watching that defense was. When that second team defense came onto the field, I didn't feel like there was a huge drop off from that first team. And, um, you know, and I think everyone's on the same page, learning the defense at the same time and, and wiping that slate clean has really helped a bunch of guys. You've seen a, a player like Muhammad Barry really start to emerge. And, uh, you know, Trent Avery Bray, Roberts. Yeah, Avery Roberts, the true freshman that enrolled early. I mean,. Uh, um, and, and Trent bray talked about those guys, you know, them knowing what they were capable of when they recruited them, but now those guys are are coming in and, and actually, you know, doing what what uh, what they always knew they'd be able to do eventually. And um, I think that was one of the biggest things that that really struck me is how how there w- really wasn't a, a step down from that second unit that we saw.
1: You know, you're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. I think for me the. The biggest concern I walked away with is that offensive line and uh, Nick Gates and, and some of those guys just haven't really looked or played the part yet. And that's concerning uh, because, you know, you return four or five guys of starting experience, you've got some young guys coming up, uh, but I still feel like that offensive line has a ways to go. They've got to establish who the starting five will for sure be. I think Michael Decker would have the edge at center, The tackle position, though, remains a mystery. Uh, mainly because Gates is underweight right now. Neville, you know, is inconsistent, and Cole Conrad will continue to fight. And then Matt Farniak's on the come. Um, so there, I think, are a lot of questions. And the protection um, wasn't always in the in the running game, in the screen game. I mean, there there were a lot of questions. I thought of the offensive line, Robin.
2: Yeah, definitely uh, an issue. And you know, I guess maybe you could chalk it up to somewhat of the defense just having a good day. But um, that was one, you know, obvious takeaway uh, that I had as well was the offensive line just really struggled to get a push uh especially i mean even in the simple between the tackles running game um there just wasn't a lot there um and then even you know but the, their pass protection i mean quarterbacks were you know having to evade blitzes and um getting guys that are coming free off the edge and um even to the screen pass game i mean there's plays that are just getting completely blown up because guys were missing blocks and so um that is definitely uh, in my opinion the biggest concern facing this team right now is not only establishing your, your top five but uh the depth behind them um, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, kind of red flags we got from that first scrimmage. And uh, the good news is there's a lot of time to kind of uh, correct. You know some of these issues, but um, this is going to be priority number one for this coaching staff because if they don't have an offensive line, doesn't matter who the quarterback is, doesn't matter who the best wide receivers are, running backs. Uh, that is going to make that offense um, have some real issues on its hands.
3: Yeah, the, that group's got about a week and a half or so to really try and gel, and then work on gelling over the summer, heading into the fall, because uh, it was clear that they, at times, they seemed to be, you know, kind of on on different pages. The timing was a little off on on some of those screen plays and. Everything everything, Which is a big part of the offense that, that Danny Langsdorf and Mike Riley have been wanting to use for really since they got to Nebraska, but they really haven't been able to to really utilize that as much as they've wanted to, and and a lot of it has to do with uh, with the line uh, up front and, and working that timing, and then of course the quarterback too. But um, you know that's that's something that I, I think uh, you know I think we'll see some improvement there because. The depth is a little bit better, but boy, they they definitely have a long way to go still.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wash and Nate Class as we give our final thoughts here on Nebraska's opening scrimmage and you know running the ball, too. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Can Nebraska sniff 200 yards rushing a game without a running quarterback? Or are they going to kind of live in that 120 to 140 range rushing and and really have to rely on the short control passing game, which I think they can rely on with Tanner Lee or Patrick O'Brien. Those guys have shown they can hit the checkdowns, they can hit the short throws consistently. Uh, But I know a lot of Nebraska fans listening right now, they want to see Nebraska as a top three rushing offense and I, I have my questions. We just mentioned the offensive line. And does this team still have a true number one running back? I think that would be my other concern here as we head into the final days of spring practice.
2: Oh, well, yeah. With the issues on the offensive line, the fact that they don't have, you know, a proven, established running back right now, uh, 200 yards a game is wishful thinking at this point. And, you know, it's obviously not ideal, especially in the Big Ten when you're trying to win games in November, uh, to, to not have that kind of fallback running game uh, to, to win you games is definitely a concern. But I do think that, like you mentioned, Sean, that they have ways to work around that. And the, the passing game with just the quick uh, timing routes, the screen passes. Uh, Jet I think, sweeps. Yeah, the, those types of things will help in that regard. So, I mean, it may not look like your, you know, your dad's or even your older brother's, you know, Nebraska running game. But I think that they will be able to sustain drives and, you know, chew up yards in different ways. Um, and, you know, of course – you know, by doing that, that opens up the opportunity for big plays, which we all know is a staple of Riley's offense. Yeah, absolutely, I, I think if if you're falling
3: about 60 yards short of hitting that 200 y- yard rushing mark, I, I think that those 60 yards you will you know we'll see that kind of as receiving yards to a lot of those backs out of the backfield uh, with that with that controlled passing game. So, um, yeah, you'd like to be able to grind it out whenever you need to, but uh, at the same time, I, I think with a guy like Tanner Lee or Patrick brian uh they've shown that they can be pretty accurate and efficient there uh, in that short controlled passing game too
1: and i'll close it on this guys it's it's not just about the stats it's can you get four to five yards on first down running the ball and when it's third and one or third and two can you line up and run for it can you get it in the end zone on third and goal from the two can you run it in there and i think those define good rushing offenses so lots of time to think about that as as we uh uh, wrap things up here, but uh, when we come back. We're gonna get deeper into the quarterback discussion. Tanner Lee, Patrick O'Brien, and Tristan Jebbia That's all next. Here you're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Your authority on Nebraska athletics. Even if I did, I don't want to say right now. Uh, I think that it's it's not necessary. I think that I really like what both of these guys are doing. We need them both to be ready to start and play. The way we are alternating their work is very, very well done by Coach Langsdorf. They're getting almost identical turns, and we don't have too many where it's all watered down, either. We only have four quarterbacks working. I want to keep that room small and so that they get the work like this and I hope to continue it like this in the fall camp. Now, the, the, I don't mean that I won't say who the starting quarterback is. I don't think we'll wait that long. I don't, I don't even want to really think about that right at this point. I'm really happy with both guys. I'd say overall outstanding spring practice with both of those kids. I just want to keep it trending upward that way.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Lions show. That was the latest from Mike Riley on kind of where he's at with this quarterback race, Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, and Nate Klaus says Nebraska held their first scrimmage on Saturday and uh, the quarterbacks really all got about equal reps. Andrew Bunch got some spot reps at the very end, the the fourth string walk on, but You heard Mike Riley. Does not want a log jam of guys? I mean, I heard some people even asking me at the scrimmage, why don't they just have Darlington repping at quarterback? Because it, it would just take away reps from Jebbia. It would take away reps from other guys. And I think they really feel like they have three guys right now Um, You know, two for this year and uh, Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien and then Tristan Jebbia for the future. And they are just going to rep the hell out of these three guys and and continue to work them um, against the defense. And, you know, I'll tell you what stood out to me the most about Tanner Lee when I when I look at his game is that quick release. He gets rid of the football out of his hand as quick as I've ever seen a quarterback in Nebraska. And his arm strength and his ability to make that deep out throw um, that you need in this offense, he did a lot of impressive things. The only thing he did on Saturday that was disappointing was he missed like, on the deep ball. He had a couple times where he could have really you know, took over the scrimmage and, and kind of did like a walk-off, like I'm the guy. And and, and he didn't have that, but still a lot to chew on from his performance, Robin.
2: Yeah, uh, I look to his first drive um, against first-team defense, um to, to very start the scrimmage and um, he kind of struggled out of the gates you know had a couple you know uh, i don't know if it was an incomplete pass and then like a failed run or a short run to set up a third down uh, but what he did he stepped up and made the big throws when it was mattered the most and i mean that, that was as encouraging as almost anything and so he ended up marching the ball all the way down you know almost to the red zone and maybe made One of the best throws I've seen in a long time where he found Stanley Morgan about, you know, 25, 30 yards downfield was able to place the ball over the defender. But, you know, in front of the sideline to where only Stanley could get it. Uh, And it was a first down to set up first and goal. Uh, It was beautiful. It was an absolute thing of beauty. And it shows, you know, you talk about arm strength. He might not have the zip that a guy like Tommy Armstrong has, but he makes the throws where they're catchable. You know, I mean, he gets it there um, and is able to place his passes um, in perfect spots where guys are hitting strides. And yes, he missed on some deep balls, but um, I think that we saw, you know, why this kid has so much excitement built around him. And, um, you know, we only got to see, you know, only a handful of, you know, maybe one or two drives of Tanner working with the first team offense against the first team defense. But what we saw looked pretty darn good.
3: Well, and the ball comes out clean all the time. He It's, it's never a duck coming out of his hands. Um, and very rarely are you seeing him, you know, sail passes or, or missing bad. You know, even um, one of the deep balls that he missed, he was under pressure, couldn't step into the pass, but still, you know, with the flick of the wrist – Threw it probably 40, 40 yards downfield to Stanley Morgan and overthrew him only by probably a yard. It, it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know five yards uh, above Stanley's head or anything like that. So. Um, yeah I, I continue to be impressed with Tanner Lee uh, I like like his body language I like the way he kind of carries himself and and Patrick O'Brien for that matter too I, I think I think he's done he's really impressed me in that aspect as well uh, as far as having command and, and you know having that body language that you want to see out of a quarterback uh, but uh, uh, I, I think at this point even though Mike Riley won't really say a whole lot I, I mean I think it's pretty obvious that, that Tanner's probably the guy I agree
1: you're listening the Husker line show, Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, A-Class, as we discuss discuss quarterbacks. And I I think he said it best, though, I think he pretty much knows who it is, but he goes, we need them both. Yeah, Uh, Because when you break down a 13, in in Nebraska's case, I hope it's 14-game season, the odds of Tanner Lee getting hit or knocked around, uh, if he's the guy, you know, and with this offensive line and the tackle situation, it's going to happen. You may you're gonna need that other guy to come in the game, and uh, you don't want that drop off at all. And we saw what happened this past year uh, when Nebraska ran into the most shaky quarterback um, situation they've experienced in years. Uh, when like Luke McNitt was the emergency quarterback <laughs> for the bowl game, I mean it, w- it was a disaster. So um, they have to keep both these guys here, happy and ready to roll for this season. Uh, Because we all believe Jebby is going to be a guy. But man, he just needs to live in the weight room and... And gained 20 pounds, and he knows it. Everybody knows it, so that's why I think it's very important for these two guys uh, to continue to to be in the mix.
2: Yeah, let's not make it out like O'Brien had a bad scrimmage. No, I mean, like, no, no. Like, like Nate said, I mean, he he looked pretty darn good in his own right, and he did have that one interception. But uh, it also is important to note that you know he didn't get a whole lot of reps with that first team offense, and particularly uh, the first team wide receivers. Uh, so I mean, it was kind of a, a jumbled, you know, mix and match. Uh, you know, situation as the scrimmage went on. So, um, you know, I mean, you can kind of expect that are going to be you know a little bit of timing issues and whatnot. But uh, I agree. We saw kind of exactly what we've seen all spring long that Patrick is really not that far behind Tanner Lee, and really what is separating them uh, is just you know stuff that Patrick has no control over, and that's experience. I mean, Tanner's done it. He's been there. He's kind of got that poise to him. Where you know Patrick O'Brien's a redshirt freshman who's never played in a live college game. Uh, so until uh, you know Patrick actually gets that experience, I mean, that's going to be the one thing that Tanner's going to hold over his head. Well, and getting back to something that, that Sean
3: just mentioned, you know, as, as far as health goes... Tanner does have a history of of being injured, uh, and I know that he played behind a mishmash unit of, of offensive linemen at, at, at Tulane that really didn't help things. I know he was getting hit an awful lot there, but um, he has been hurt before. So you're going to need uh, you're going to need Patrick O'Brien to be there, and I, I like the fact that uh, both these quarterbacks are going to be able to do the same thing. Unlike what we saw last year when you had Tommy Armstrong go out, you had you had a completely different you know, offense almost of, of what Tommy could run compared to what Riker could run. They were vastly different. Um, they had vastly different strengths and weaknesses, whereas uh, between Tom, Taylor or Tanner Lee and, and Patrick O'Brien, um, they can both do pretty much everything uh, in the offense and do it very, very well and, and efficiently.
1: As we wrap it up here, guys, I, I also want to bring this up. The tight end play has been a big surprise. Uh, I think when you look at the guys they have, It's one of the more underwhelming returning groups of tight ends I can remember at Nebraska. Um, I don't think there's – maybe does Hoppus have like one catch even or in his career? No. Um, So you've got all these guys with zero receptions returning at tight end. Um, And then a couple questionable guys like Matt Snyder and and Jack Stahl. But to their credit, they have taken advantage of the reps. They have caught the balls thrown their way. All of them had great scrimmages. Even David Ingelhopp made a play. But on the opening drive alone of Tanner Lee, Tyler Hoppus had three receptions for 46 yards um, You know, on like a 10-11 play drive. So he was targeted three times, came down to three catches. Uh, Jack Stahl, Matt Snyder came down to some catches. Um, so that is encouraging that the offense is allowing these guys to really take advantage of balls thrown their way
2: tyler hoppus could very well end up with close to as many catches this season as ethan carter had uh maybe in his career uh for one you got a quarterback who actually targets the tight end and mike Riley was even asked that like uh when was the last time you had a practice where um uh, you know you had the tight ends target this much and he's like i don't know ever so, I mean, this this is kind of rare territory for the position, and uh, Tyler Hoppus might be the biggest spring surprise on offense. Uh, I mean, he is so much better than I think anyone could have projected, uh, and he's in for a very, very big year if what we're seeing this spring translates into the season.
1: And, Nate, you know, we watched a lot of Lincoln Southwest games when he was in high school. I mean, Brandon Riley and Josh Banderas and Tay Bender, the former K-State recruit. They had a lot of talented guys, but I remember you and I would always say that God, this guy, it was always interesting that they never offered him a walk-on spot initially, and he had to go to Wayne State then back to Nebraska, but you always knew that that guy with his size had potential.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Just... Yeah, with his frame and athleticism, it was like a no-brainer to, to try and bring that guy on as a walk-on prospect because you knew that he had a chance to develop into something pretty darn special. And um, and so far, he's he's really done that. I think you know, if you're if you're Tavita Thompson, you got to be feeling a lot better right now than you were heading into the spring with the way some of these guys have emerged.
1: All right, we'll talk more defense here next. As Bob Diaco and his impact has really been felt across the board. Uh, we'll hear more on that here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
3: Our first scrimmage really showed um, like pursuit and stuff like that. Every tackle we made was gang tackles, and and I think that just shows a lot from where we came from last year. He totally changes the mentality of our defense, you know, Um, and that's how you have to be. If you want to win national championships, you can't be, Making one-on-one tackles in the open field all the time, you know. I mean, it's going to happen, but you got to gain tackle and, and swarm to the ball. So um, I think that's the biggest thing that he brings. Just that mentality is we're always going 110 percent every time. Um, I think everyone's really buying into it. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be around some great defensive coordinators. That's why some of them are head coaches and where they are. But like I say, he's one of a kind. So it's not going to be very many people in this world like him. So he's going to compete at everything he does, and he's going to make sure that you guys see on the field. But he's like that in meetings. He's like that just walking around the building. So He's like
1: that all the time. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was linebacker Luke Gifford, who's having a great spring, followed up by corners coach Dante Williams, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, A. Klaus. And, you know, when you bring in a big-name defensive coordinator and you write a check for $825,000, 875000 I think a lot of people are like, why is a guy worth that much more money than maybe this coordinator or that coordinator? Well, I think you're seeing now why. I mean, Bob Diaco... Just his presence, his just the way he carries himself, the way he's focused, everything about the guy. He's wired a little bit differently. I think we're all going to agree to that. Nate and I were around the clinic um, last Friday, and um, its he's an interesting cat. I'll put it that way. Uh, but the guy knows how to coach defense. He knows how to motivate players. And it was very evident, um, especially seeing him in action during Saturday's scrimmage.
2: It's so amazing how much attitude can affect overall play, especially on defense. And we're seeing that every single day we get a chance to watch practice. I mean, just the complete shift in enthusiasm and excitement in everything that the defense does, uh, it gets— it's, Apparent every time we watch. I mean, just simple things like running on and off the field, um, you know, chasing the ball after every single play, you know, making, uh, you know, chants after good plays, celebrating like he won the Super Bowl after, you know, three and out stop. I mean, those types of things are really starting to completely change uh, the mindset of this defense to where I think they're having a whole lot of fun. Right now, and by having a lot of fun, they're playing fast, and by playing fast, they're making plays. And so, all these things are really translating into a total facelift uh, for this defense. And um, considering where this unit was over the past couple of years, uh, I mean, this is much needed, it's kind of breathing new life into a lot of these guys. And when you look at all the new you know, young faces they have um, that are going to have to play big roles this year, uh, it couldn't have been a much better situation to kind of uh, um, ignite a new flame in this group. And you know, Bob Diak has done exactly that when he was hired uh, the narrative was boy you know
3: there's gonna be um, a hard transition ahead you know going from a four three to the to the three four and really we have not seen that at all and and I think it's because he's done a lot of the simple things he, he's made the game fun uh it's the, these guys are, are wanting to learn uh they're playing fast it, like like uh like Lou Gifford said in the open there like they're gang they're gang tackling guys are flying to the football I mean it's just the little things they're they're all engaged there's competition across the board um you know and all of those factors together i think have have made these guys want to learn more and more about the defense so they don't get left behind necessarily and um it's to be honest with you they're I, I, I didn't think that the defense would look the way it does right now at this point in the spring, and, and they still have a ways to go. Obviously, it's not a finished product, but uh, they're they're much farther ahead than than I would have ever thought that they would be. Right yeah, guys
1: now. don't look out of place. Guys don't look confused. Mm-hmm. And I think when you play with what he calls maximum effort, um, and everybody's rallying to the ball, that can override some mistakes.
2: Yeah, and you know, just going back to after yesterday's practice, you know, Nate, you were talking with Trent Bray. Uh, one of the things that they were talking about, Muhammad Barry, you know, he obviously had the big scrimmage on Saturday and uh, he had another interception um, during Tuesday's practice. And Trent, Trent Bray said that was a direct result of him just playing fast. When you play fast, good things tend to happen. And uh, I think that this entire defense has kind of embraced that mentality that if everybody is just going, like Luke Gifford said, 110% on every single play, uh, I mean, good things are going to come as a result of that. And so, I mean, I that kind of goes back to just um, the reshaping of this mentality mentality. mentality uh, of defense that if you give max effort, you will see rewards because of it.
3: And Muhammad was
2: saying that the the
3: defense feels like they can't lose right now because they're they're uh, they're playing so fast that even if someone is out of position or or maybe screws up their their read or their assignment, everyone's playing so fast that someone somebody's, somebody's going to make the play, and it, that's that has instilled confidence in this defense that it has certainly been lacking for the last couple of years. You're listening
1: here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robert Washad, and Nate Klaus, as we discuss defensive story lines here um, as Nebraska gears up for another scrimmage here on Saturday. And, you know, some other guys that have jumped out, Avery Roberts for uh, early enrollee freshman had a great scrimmage. Uh, Jojo Dolman uh, back there at a safety spot. He had a three-yard tackle for loss on Divino Zigbo in the backfield and uh, really made his presence felt. I mean, we're seeing a lot of new faces. And I think, you know, when I gauge the subscriber base on Husker Online um, and their thoughts, that's, that's what gets people excited i think fans get tired of the same old same old guy just always kind of having ownership of a position they want to see other people come up and out of, out of the weeds and make a move at jobs and we're seeing that we're seeing guys like luke gifford mm-hmm. um you, you mentioned Muhammad barry and then you know divino's not Divino or, you know all these guys we just mentioned Avery roberts um different players lamar jackson uh, they're finding new roles with bob diaco
2: yeah, uh, and the competition breeds success. I mean, they, we've said it time and again, and we're seeing it. Uh, I mean, no position is safe uh, on this entire roster. Even veteran guys like Chris Weber, I mean, they're having to compete every single day to solidify those number one spots. And if any guy has has a you know a few steps back or you know takes a, a couple practices off, there's a good chance the guy right behind him is going to you know supplant them on the depth chart. And so, uh, I mean, that 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 type of competition um, is just kind of adding it and fueling. Uh, this overall, you know, boost in intensity that we've seen because guys know that they, they can't afford to, you know, like I said, take a play off or take a practice off because uh, if they do, there will be consequences.
3: And what I like about it is that it's it's a friendly competition, though, that you know, after, after every play, the defense, they're, they're celebrating with one another even on the sidelines. The guys who aren't on the field at that, you know, point in time, they're celebrating and, and giving guys shout outs and everything. So uh, this is a unit, you know, I, in the chat uh, the other day, someone Said uh, what the over under for you know defensive players throwing the bones per game was going to be, and uh, I think they said five and a half. And I said it's going to be way more than that because this is a defense that's having fun and they're they're out there making plays.
1: I envision Diaco being a big throw the bones guy yeah, after yeah. after a couple of the. I mean, his emotions incredible when you see him out there. You're listening here to the Oscar Line shows as uh, we discuss defensive storylines, guys. I wanted to also bring up just some guys that have been noticeably missing um, here out there on spring Uh, I'll throw Antonio Reed at safety I feel like you know his role or presence just hasn't been noticed Um, and then Kyron Williams who led this team in interceptions you know basically won the Minnesota game with a pick Um, he just doesn't feel like he has a home yet on on this team and and that could always change but uh, I might be missing a couple other names but I, I just feel like there's been some guys out there that you know what they they maybe aren't fits or new coaches new eyes have different evaluations
2: yeah and i think kyron williams is obviously the most uh, interesting one of those for a guy that started nine games led the team with five interceptions last year i mean he's basically been relegated to the second team um right now just because you know obviously josh clue changed the dynamic of that safety spot and aaron williams has been maybe uh you know one of the best players in the entire secondary if not the entire defense in terms of grasping this new uh, this new scheme. So, uh, but there's a long way to, for this all to play out. I mean, obviously, Kyron's a very talented player, um, and you know, Bob Diaco was asked straight up about him. Uh, you know, what what where he was on the depth chart, and while he didn't really want to get into uh, the actual depth chart talk, um, he he did kind of hint what what may be going on there. You know, he said that while well, Kyron's been doing a wonderful job, uh, he needs to be, oh, wait. He's trying to become a good teammate and get better, and he's good. He's good enough to. Uh, And has a skill set to participate on defense for sure. So I mean, there's a message being sent there. Uh, And Kyron's, you know, we'll see how he reacts. I mean, there's two different ways you can go in a situation like this. You know, you can, you know, go home and pout and you know, figure out, you know, maybe somewhere else where you can, you know, (laughs) have a better opportunity. Or you can, you know, take your circumstances and make the best of them. And uh, knowing Kyron, I think that he's going to take this the right way. And uh, you know, I'm sure that he'll find a way to have a role on this defense in some capacity.
1: All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the discussion over to basketball. There's been a lot of talk about transfers, Tim Miles in the New Mexico job. We'll get Robin Washett to clean up that whole mess and give his thoughts on kind of everything that's happened in the world of Nebraska basketball. That's all next here. You're listening to the
0: Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, now Robin it as we're going to shift over and discuss some Nebraska basketball. And it's been very interesting here uh, over the last week with rumors. Uh, you know, first the bombshell of Ed Morrow Jr. last week, then more rumors of guys transferring. I mean, everybody from Michael Jacobson to... Glenn Watson Jr.'s name gets thrown around at times to uh, Roby's name. And then you get Tim Miles' name mentioned as a leading candidate to go to New Mexico, which uh, would be a substantial step down in pay. I mean, Tim Miles is set to make over $2 million each of the next three years. So Nebraska theoretically still owes Tim Miles $6 million more million on his contract, or a little bit more than that, where a job like New Mexico didn't even pay a $1 million last year. So from a financial standpoint, it doesn't make any sense at all and Tim miles shot those rumors down uh text messaged our own Robin Washett here um, just basically saying there's been no contact Robin with New Mexico
2: yeah he said that he's had no contact um, at all with but New as Mexico, the agent had contact that's the thing you know you gotta you gotta read between the lines sometimes especially when it comes to uh, coaching uh, you know rumors and whatnot. So um, yeah, he, he, he shot those down, but I I have a feeling the truth lies somewhere, you know, in the middle. Um, I'm sure there was contact and I'm also sure that maybe Tim Miles didn't have direct contact, but um, you know, he does have an agent. He has people uh, around him that uh, maybe had some communication for him and uh, my, my guess is things just didn't get very far, uh, and so, you know, here we are, and uh, time to finally turn the page toward the off season because I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I think we've solidified that. Um, he will be back next season for his sixth year here at Nebraska for what is probably the most, well, not probably, which is easily the most critical year uh, of his tenure here. Um, so, uh, a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, you got three scholarships uh, available, and um, as things stands right now, you know, once again, they're... I don't expect any transfers, but as we've learned, um, anything can happen in the matter of 24 hours. So I'm not going to rule it out. Um, there's always a chance that a kid could just suddenly decide he's not happy and want to move on. But um, with the way things stand right now, it looks like everyone will be back. Uh, and if that's the case, then you got three open spots, which they've already made clear. We'll go to two guards and a center. Um, somewhere between the JUCO market and the Division One transfer market, um, that that's kind of how their approach is going to be. And so, um, you know, it's it's been a very interesting week. But yet, with Nebraska basketball seemingly uh, every week is an interesting week.
1: And then let's not downplay it. transfers are happening everywhere. Okay. Um, it's just getting really magnified here uh, because of kind of where things are at with this program. But. I mean, it, it's it's a very common thing. I mean, teams average what two point something yeah. a, a team between now between
2: two and three per team in Division One. So Nebraska technically is it's on the average, slightly above average. Yeah, and the issue this time around is the PR standpoint uh, of losing a guy like Ed Morrow. Um, you know, that one is a little different because of the other circumstances involved the fact that he's a kid that was born and raised in lincoln has family in lincoln his parents are both nebraska legacy players um you know his his uncle played sports here too or his aunt played sports here so i mean the connections run deep with ed morrow in nebraska and so for him to just kind of up and leave in the manner that he did you know less than two weeks after telling tim miles in a one-on-one meeting that he plans to be back next season Um, You know, it's definitely a a cause for concern, and it's perfectly understandable why fans, you know, were were pretty upset about it. I mean, um, you know, this this was a guy that was kind of one of the, you know, marquee players in that 2015 class that um, theoretically was going to be the foundation, you know, for Tim Miles, you know, His program, so uh, to lose a guy like that, uh, it's a little different than losing a Jariah Horn, which it was you know a lot more expected uh, than this one. And you know Michael Fuller
1: too uh, was a guy. Nick Nick Fuller Fuller was a guy that. uh, Yeah, that was no surprise. I mean, I think people thought he was going to leave like two, three years in a row. I mean, it's not like that. That one's not a blow, but no, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I think just it's a fan base that's just very frustrated, rightfully so. Um, I mean you're selling out a 15,000-seat arena essentially still as one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And and I think that even adds to the pressure. I mean, I, I joke that Nebraska basketball, it's almost like the Chicago Cubs where fans still would go to Wrigley to watch bad baseball. And it's the same thing with Nebraska basketball. Fans are still going to PPA to watch bottom big 10 basketball. And, you know, when you have that kind of money still invested and these types of crowds um, into the games, I just think it even adds more uh, to the pressure uh, with the facilities and everything that that's out there in front for Tim miles to work with.
2: Yeah. That's what makes Nebraska such a unique job uh, in a lot of different ways. I mean, yeah, they are now the only Power 5 team never to win an NCAA tournament game. Uh, you know, they, their tradition is about as sparse um, from a success standpoint as as any, you know, high major school out there. But the reality is, you know, they're one of the top 11 teams uh, in overall attendance this year. They have brand new facilities that are kind of the, the class of the Big Ten Conference. Um, you know, they, they, they have so much else going for it, and yet, for whatever reason, they are unable to produce a winner. Uh, and that it's uh, that's where you know the, this frustration has kind of reached a boiling point right now. Uh, I mean the, the, the fans are tired of excuses they're tired of hearing about well this is why you know we failed in this year and um, this is why we could fail next year you know, the people are tired of hearing about it that they, they want Success. They want tangible things to cheer for, to get excited about their program. And right now, with what we've seen over the past five years, you know, outside of one hot streak month, there's really been nothing. And so, I mean, that's kind of why we've reached the point where, um, you know, this is literally do or die for Tim Miles next year. And I don't know what the parameter of a success you know they have to. Yeah, achieve. I don't think it's as simple as yeah.
1: NCAA or bust. It's not cause... like
2: 20 wins or nothing. It's it's a deal where you have to show tangible reasons why your program is in the right direction. Direction. You have to make some sort of postseason play, I would assume, and most people would assume it's NCAA tournament. But who knows? I mean, the only person that knows that is Sean Eichhorst. And um, it's going to be a very stressful season. Yeah, um, you look at Illinois
1: as kind of a an example. I mean, yeah,
2: they were playing for John Gross for almost the entire year, and
1: they made the NIT and won some games, and he almost was, made the tournament, and he was still fired. Um, so that that I mean, and you know, they have a new AD there, and mm-hmm. Miles' AD was not Tim mile, or Miles and Hire. Uh,
2: Icor's I- I- didn't, I- I
1: didn't hire miles, so um, you know that's always something to factor in. And I- course hired Jim Laranega at Miami; had great success with that hire. So he's one of those guys. I think in his mind, um, he thinks he knows basketball. But yep. Mar- Mark Bame, I think, always felt that too. I mean, he was very involved in the Jamie Dixon and Ben Holland hires at at Pittsburgh, um, and they kind of thought that was a big deal when they came to Nebraska and hired basketball coaches. So. Um, it's a tough, tough deal. Um, and, you know, Robin, when you look at this recruiting, what's realistic? And can you really get difference makers this late in the recruiting cycle, um, you know, in junior college guys and whatnot?
2: You can, uh, in terms of what Nebraska needs. Right now, they need shooters. They need three point shooters at guards, and they need a guy that's going to come and be a, a defensive low post presence um, at center. Uh, and I think that you can find that um, you don't need necessarily, uh, you know, a, a four or five star uh, center right now. What you need is a guy to add depth behind Jordy, who you know he there's a bright future. In fact, he was just named uh, by BTN as you know one of the guys that could be poised for a breakout season next year. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement behind him. Um, so you you don't need necessarily that you know um, all American. Uh, type of center. You need a guy that's going to fill what Ed brought to you defensively and be a physical presence in the post, and um, you know, just just give you that ability to have depth and to match up with the rest of the bigs in the Big Ten conference. And then on the the other two spots, you need shooters. Like I said, you need guys uh, beyond Jack McVeigh who are going to make a three pointer for you. Um, and I think that they're on some guys that fit that mold to a T um, with the offers they put out. They've made it clear they want guys that are shooting, you know, 45 to you know, almost 50 percent from three point range uh and so one of the one of those two spots will be filled by just a knockdown three point shooter um and if they can get two of them great and if you add all three of those pieces to what they have coming back assuming the roster stays as it as it is uh then you, you i mean there's reason to feel at least somewhat optimistic. I mean, you have Glenn Watson, who is going to go in his junior year. You have Jacobson going to his junior year. You got uh, Jordy coming back, who's poised for a breakout year. You know, you got Jack Copeland o- coming yeah, in. Yeah, Copeland, obviously. that That's going to be the big thing. If Isaac Copeland can come back off that back injury, which there's no guarantee about that whatsoever, back injuries are extremely tricky deals uh, and can take months upon months to recover and so that's that's probably the biggest X factor of all because if he can be the type of player he was coming out of high school as a five star number 23 overall player in the country yeah in the country uh, that's a dude. And if you have a dude that can change the entire dynamic of your lineup, so uh, if, if he can be that type of player, it, it reshapes everything that you view about this team. Um, but you know, like I said, there's a lot of questions are to be remaining to be asked answered from that, and then what they can do with these final three spots. All
1: right, well, keep your eyes on all the recruiting as Robin Watchett's been on top of that as. Uh, Three scholarships to fill for Nebraska ball as they go in here to this offseason. When we come back, we're going to close the show on Husker football recruiting with Nate Klaus. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here
1: of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we are discussing some recruiting and Man, the uh, spring game list continues to grow and get bigger. Uh, Nate, as uh, we look at things, what is the number up to now? Offer guys, four-star guys.
3: So, four-star guys just in the 2018 class is now up to 22 four-star players, 18 of which fall into the uh, the rivals 250. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's and that's not counting probably another six or seven. You know, four-star type of players in the class. You put that in
1: perspective, like a program like Iowa State in probably like five years has not had that many four-star guys on their campus combined, and Nebraska's going to have it for like a spring game.
3: Yeah, well, just compare it to Nebraska's spring game last year where last year they had, I think it was nine four-stars on campus, and that was like the biggest spring game that they had had in several years. So, and that I mean, you're having 22 – Uh, in the class of 2018 on campus. uh, That blows it out of the water. But I I think what's even more impressive is you've got a handful of guys who are top 100, top 250 type players in the classes of 2019 and 2020 that are going to be on campus as well. So, um, But overall, you're going to have close to 50 players that have offers from Nebraska that are on campus for the spring game, which is I mean, it's it's we've never seen it before, and, and it, I know it's it's easy to always say, "Well, this is the biggest and this is the best that we've ever seen," but this is literally the biggest and the best that uh, that we've ever seen by a long shot.
1: And from your read Nate, as we look at this early list, I mean, you, I mean, I know not all of them are going to show up. It just happens that way, but you get a pretty good feel that it's going to be a high. It's almost like when you invite people to your wedding. Um, you hope to get a certain amount of RSVPs back Um, I mean Nebraska is going to get a high percentage of you know guys attending of this list I mean I know a lot can change still though
3: yeah a lot can change and there's always late subtractions from the list and and even a couple late additions but I would I feel pretty comfortable saying that at least 90 percent of the players that we've confirmed so far are going to show up uh, for that game I, I I've Talked with uh, the large majority of these players that we've confirmed, you know, going back two or three weeks ago to see, you know, make sure they're still set. And and the majority of these guys are telling me, "Yep, got the, got our hotel and our our." Uh, uh, You know airplane tickets booked and you know excited to to get to lincoln and and there's a buzz growing here because i i've i've gotten i've talked with a couple kids lately who are who have told me you know two or three weeks ago they said oh i don't know if i'm going or not and that have reached out to me unsolicited saying hey i'm i'm still working on trying to get there there's going to be a lot of players there this is you know this is a big deal and there's a big buzz kind of growing around this spring game so um I think this could be a springboard to, to uh, some very, very lucrative recruiting uh, going, going forward in this class. You
1: know, I even think Nate, as we look at this, it's going to put some pressure just on the staff to, to develop an entertaining spring game format and, and whatnot. Cause you really want to put on a show. I mean, you don't want this to be kind of a snoozer. I mean, you want it to be an engaging type of environment for these kids. Uh, the weather, you know, it's early, the 10 day forecast is out and, it looks like things will be maybe sixties or low seventies, uh, for that, that day, but a lot can change. But, um, you you want a day at about 70 degrees with the sun out and you want an entertaining game to show these guys.
3: Yeah. You want, you want an entertaining game to show these guys for sure. Because, uh, um, you want the crowd to be in it. Obviously, that's you know one of the bigger selling points um, for Nebraska is to say, hey, look, there's 70,000, 80,000 people that came out to watch us practice. You know, Where else can you get that across the country? And not only did they watch us practice, they cheered us on kind of like it was an actual football game. And I think if, if the game is engaging, that's going to engage the crowd, which is going to keep the recruits kind of in it as well. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line for me is anytime you get this many high-profile recruits on campus together they they start talking they know each other they 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 create or strengthen whatever bonds they they already have uh with one another and, and they start dreaming they start talking about hey you know what could we do if if we all came here you know what could we do we could do something pretty special here if we did this or that or whatever you know there's a lot of a lot of talk that goes on amongst these kids but uh, it's going to be important for the staff i think to kind of have a plan in place and i'm sure that they will for each and every one of these guys and kind of know exactly where each of these guys are are at uh, in their recruiting process Um, which ones to kind of maybe push and nudge towards a commitment um, or, or what needs to be done uh, to kind of, you know, with guys who have been here before, you know, what, what do they need to do now and and show them um, to kind of get them, push them over the edge Uh, or kids who have never visited before, you know, uh, what do they need to do to make a lasting impression uh, going forward? Because a lot of these guys are high profile guys. They're going to continue to take visits and, and go on and, 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 uh, you know, I think it's important for Nebraska to either secure commitments fo- following the, the spring game or to at least do enough to secure a return visit, whether that be for a Big Red Weekend or Friday Night Lights or for an official visit in the fall.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and a lot of interest with the group of Missouri guys, Nate. And uh, you and Mike Batia and the team uh, confirmed some very big visitors that will be here from uh, the Kansas city, St. Louis area. And um, you know, these guys are getting a lot of attention. They all went down to the uh, opening regional in Chicago, a big group of those Missouri kids and had a great showing. And, um, a good majority of them, everybody basically, but Trevor Trout and Cameron Bab um, looks like they're going to be up here in Lincoln now.
3: Yeah, and that and that's been a big, you know, point of emphasis. Uh, obviously, or a big talking point for people on the website and, and for us even. You know, the the amount of talent that's in Missouri this year and how crucial it is for Nebraska to kind of take advantage of being able to to recruit that state well this year, uh, and not just for this year but also next year with the amount of talent. And um, you know, up until about this past week, there were uh, there was a notable absence for from several of the their top targets from Missouri on the on their list and um, you know Mario Goodrich who's the top 250 uh, athlete uh, out of Kansas City has has since confirmed he will be uh, on campus for that game and I think Nebraska is clearly the team to beat there um, and getting Ronnie Perkins the D end out of out of uh, st. Louis uh, who just won the the defensive line MVP at the at the Chicago Nike camp uh, getting him him on campus is huge Uh, you know Oklahoma has made a very strong push there Uh, so you know getting a chance to get him on campus and impress him uh, and kind of take a step forward is very big for Nebraska and then Daniel Carson uh, out of Independence Missouri uh, 6'5 270 pound defensive end um, you know, who's really started to blow up who's is putting together a really nice offer list is, is another key guy to get on campus. And, um, and not just because these guys are in Nebraska's backyard and they are, you know, difference maker type players, but uh, it's also Missouri's spring game that same weekend. So to, to not only get them out of the state of Missouri um, you know, to visit Nebraska for the spring game, that's important, but to get them to turn down going to Mizzou's spring game uh, in, in in uh, in favor of visiting Nebraska, I think is is uh, a pretty big victory there.
1: Yeah, right now it's it's not a good time to be Barry Odom and in, in the Tigers because they only signed one Missouri kid last year and in, in, uh, what LeRon Davis, uh, the receiver.
3: Yeah, De- yeah, LeRon De- Davis, and, and
1: you know he may not even qualify. And Nebraska could have had that kid if they wanted. I mean, mm-hmm. he was basically begging to come to Nebraska and get an offer, and they turned him away. And here, the best year we've seen in twenty plus years. Um, you know, they're, they're struggling in their own backyard and, um, you know, Bob Devaney legendary once said, if there, there was a guy that could get Kansas city and St. Louis's top recruits to Missouri, he would win a lot of games mm-hmm. and it still really has never successfully happened. Um, it was close under Gary Pinkle, I think, uh, when they had their little run there, but, uh, lots of talent, Nebraska, uh, doing their best here to take advantage of it. Lots to follow here in recruiting here in the coming days. Uh, Make sure you stay on Husker Online as uh, we will not only have the latest in recruiting, but also more coverage here from spring practice as the Huskers will scrimmage again here on Saturday.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.